Amen. Glad you're here. Uh, if you're online and, and not in the area, then we're especially glad that you get to join in with our church body this Sunday. If you're anywhere near Castle Rock, we hope you make it down to Miller Park tonight, uh, 6 o'clock. Should be a beautiful evening. Uh, forecast is great. Come early. Come 4, 4.30. Get some food. Enjoy some games. Our own Diana McKeever is going to be running some minute to win it stuff up near the food trucks. Uh, all kinds of good things are happening. 6 o'clock, we'll have some church, baptism tonight, and, uh, and a little bit of a maybe part two, but deeper uh, part of this message that I'll share with you this morning. It could be that you're in a position like Josh mentioned, you're watching the world, whether it's Afghanistan or Haiti or the Delta variant or any number of things, and you could be sensing or feeling a little bit of discouragement. But you don't need, you don't need world events to feel discouraged. It could be just your own deal. It could be your family. It could be health issues. It could be job tension. Any number of things could get you in a place where you are wondering if God's present if he's in this day, and I wonder if there's some discontentment in your life that might be taking root. I wonder if, like me, sometimes this week, past few weeks, you may be feeling like hope is just moving a bit further from you, evaporating a little bit, a little short on hope, and I wonder if you might be occasionally discouraged. I came across a verse uh, over the last couple of weeks that I'll share with you. It's, uh, it's one that caught me different, probably because of the translation I was reading it in. This is what it says, Romans chapter 4, the very beginning of verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. And this is the New Living Translation. And this is what surprised me. The, the NIV says, and against all hope. So it's the same idea, but there was just this, this different sense in the NLT, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping. I'd never really thought about the life of Abraham in the Old Testament this way, but that's exactly what happened in his life. And by most accounts, he had no reason. Now, obviously, Romans is the New Testament, and Paul is going to give us this example of Abraham, the, the patriarch of not just Judaism, but of course Christianity claims him, Muslim, they, they claim him as well. In fact, the three major world religions would call him Father Abraham, and it's his life that Paul points back to, and really his entire family, I, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, to give us perspective on hope. And... When you read this, I bet you can identify with Abraham. I bet you know what it's like to not have hope and have no reason for hope. To be in a circumstance where you think, you know, I, I, I'm supposed to hope. It's a good thing to hope. I don't want to push into hope, but there's no reason for it. Abraham knew something about hope, and we'll dig in to sort through what that is today. Now, this missing hope that we might have at times. It's this, this sense that we're just not sure if things are going to get better. We have this idea that, that maybe things are going to get worse and we don't know how to deal with it. This idea of a future that's not desirable or worse than yesterday or maybe even worse today. 
And if that's how you're feeling at times, then this verse in Romans and really the story in Genesis may give you a sense of where we can go with it. Now, so Abraham, he kept on hoping. And we need to just have a bit of a definition around hope, first of all. Hope isn't this idea that uh, we, I just have a feeling or this optimism. Hope isn't this just a sense that things might get better. There's more to it than that. It runs much deeper than that, not just a feeling at all. In fact, we would say this, that, that hope is this idea that uh, I, I know where I am and I know where I need to be and I know the path to get there and I have the resources or the wherewithal or the knowledge or the understanding of how I'm going to get there. Hope is this idea that things will get better and I play a role in that and I know how to do it. And I can move in that direction. This is what hope is. And we know, and Abraham knows, that we don't go from A to B on our own. We don't do it on our own strength, but it takes something in us to do it. You can't just say you're going to hope and not be involved. Psychologists call this agency or this idea that we play a role in where our life is headed. Hope begins to wane when we see no reason for hope. We're not sure how to get there and we don't know what to do to get from A to B. Now, I don't know what A is for you today, where you are, where you're discouraged. I don't know why we get stuck there. I don't know what your B is, where you're headed. But I know this, that for hope to take root, this it plays a part. And so... Even when there was no reason, Abraham, he kept hoping. When hope begins to fade and we don't know how to get there, that's when we feel like there's no reason for hope. I feel stuck. I don't know how things are going to get better. And when we get there, when we have this moment, maybe you're there today, we, there are two things that we're thinking. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get from A to B. Maybe I don't even know where I'm going. And I have no desire to move from A to B. Not sure where I'm headed, and I don't know what to do. And maybe you felt this way. And if you have, then it's incredibly demotivating. And all you want to do is, is sit. It can be paralyzing. But when the path is clear, when you know where you're headed, that is when we have hope. The problem is that the line is pretty and straight and moves us in a direct trajectory from A to B, from here on up. But life isn't like that, is it? Life doesn't work like that. Life looks a lot more like this, doesn't it? It's not just for us. It did for Abraham too. A lot of ups, a lot of downs. There are twists and turns. Our choices, some of these are things we do to ourselves. And some of these twists and turns or ups and downs are things that other people or just circumstances, unforeseen changes in our life, they just happen. And when they happen, we find ourselves not sure. How do we move forward? How do we find our way? And so we get stuck. And it can feel like we're not making progress at all. In fact, it's two steps forward and three steps back. And interestingly enough, some of the things that we think are downturns or disasters or a problem end up being the thing that actually 
sets us on a right course or maybe helps us find our way or helps us get unstuck. It's the plot twist that can turn things around. But whatever your journey is like, whatever your tank of hope is like today, this verse speaks to each one of us. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping. And so wherever you are today, a few things are true about hope. It's less of a feeling than it is a skill. Hope, in fact, is a skill. And it's less about even your approach, your mental attitude, or your positive thinking, and it's more about the intentional habit of building hope into every day. And Abraham, well, he knew something about hope. And so Romans, New Testament, Paul talks about it, but let's go back to the original story in Genesis. And it starts with Abraham and his relationship with God in Genesis chapter 12. This is the promise that God begins to make to Abraham all the way in the beginning of the story. The Lord said to Abram, a shortened version of his name, later his name would be changed to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is the beginning of God's covenant and his relationship with Abraham. Now, what follows is the promise that maybe you're more familiar with. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you uh, so many descendants, you will be a nation. Of course, this is the beginning of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation. And God says to them in the next few verses, I will bless you and all the people that you bless, I will bless. And if anyone curses you, I will curse them. And it's this incredible promise. It's <clears throat> excuse me, reiterated again in Genesis 15, over and over and over again, it's the Abraham covenant. This is what God is saying. But this is how it begins. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is an incredible ask that God makes of Abraham. I want you to leave your land, leave what you know belongs to you, and go to a new place. And there's probably people there already. And this is different. It's a different time, a different culture. For Abraham, for him to leave his land meant he would be surrendering it to whoever came after him. I mean, we had no realtors back in this day. There were no title companies, no legal process, no documents, no contracts, none of that. Whoever inhabited the land... That's who it belonged to. And for Abraham to leave, not just his country, but his people and his father's household, it meant that he would have to trust God with his entire existence, with his life, and go to a new place, trusting that God would give him this new land. The Lord said to Abram, go. And so we learn first about hope this key idea that it involves moving from A to B, always. God always asks us to move. And if you're struggling with hope, then it probably means that you're stuck. And if you're not sure how to move forward in hope, it's probably because you don't understand where the line is taking you or what God is asking of you. But I'm confident of this, that the move towards hope 
If you want hope to deepen its roots in your life, it always involves moving. For Abraham, it was a physical move. It meant he had to leave land he, was, he knew, land he was familiar with, people that he understood, people he would consider neighbors, friends, and family, and go to a new place. And for Abraham, it wasn't a straight line at all. In fact, it began sometime before with his father. They left the land of Ur that was further south. They went up north to Haran. That's where his father, Terah, passed away. And then they continued on down to the land of Egypt through Canaan, through the promised land. God took them to a new place called Egypt. And then all the way back up to Canaan, hundreds and hundreds of miles God took him. And it meant leaving the familiar and going to the unfamiliar. It meant leaving the secure and going to the place where he had to trust God to provide everything that he needed. Look, more than anything, if you take one thing from today, it would be this. Hope always involves movement from A to B. If your hope is going to increase, if hope is going to take root in your life, then it's going to be a movement on your part. God is going to move you from where you are now, something, a belief, an idea, a conviction, maybe a physical place, maybe a career, maybe a relationship, but he's going to move you to something new. He's going to move you from suspicion to trust, from self-reliance to surrender. He's going to make a shift in your values. Right now, you might value the temporary, the here, the now, the bank account, your status, your promotion, your title. God's going to take you to a place of surrender where you value his position instead of yours. Maybe he's going to move you from success to significance. Jesus talks about this move over and over again all throughout the Gospels because our hope migrates to the things that we can control. Jesus says, if you're going to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you want to be first, you're going to have to be last. Hope always involves movement. And so I wonder what God is moving you toward today. I wonder what he's taking you toward. Reminder, Paul said about Abraham, even though he had no reason to hope, he kept on hoping. He understood and believed God's promise. What was God's promise? I'm gonna take you to this, from this place to this new land. I'm gonna make you a nation. He was childless. Sarah could not have children. They were both old. And God said, here's the promise. God says to us today, your hope is in this world. I want your hope to be in my kingdom, not just in the heaven to come, but in the kingdom that exists right here and right now. Your hope is in your health. That's going to fail. I want your hope to be in peace and in joy. Where is your hope now? And What does it need to move toward? Hope always involves movement. And odds are, in pondering that statement and in this move and some of the things I've mentioned or maybe others that God's Spirit is whispering to you right now, you know exactly what that movement is. You have placed your hope in one place, but God is calling you and moving you to put it somewhere else. Odds are, you know exactly what God is beckoning you too. But just like Abraham, it's going to mean that you pack up and head out, and it's scary. The unknown is frightening. And God is saying, if you want to have hope, it's going to involve movement.
just like Abraham experienced. And as you move that direction from control to surrender, from fear to trust, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. It's not going to be this straight line. It's going to be that jagged one. And you're going to find yourselves getting tripped up. You're going to hope on Monday and be discouraged on Tuesday. You're going to feel stuck on Wednesday. You're going to remember the direction and the path that you need to go later in the week and then find yourself repeating the process over and over and over again. Hope always involves movement, but it happens in fits and starts, good days, bad days, ups and downs. Some are your choices where we find ourselves stuck and some are the circumstances that we're in and we're not sure what God is up to. But hope always involves this movement. It's interesting. When you go back to Romans chapter 4 and you see what Paul said about Abraham and his life, this is how Paul describes it. He says this, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And then Paul says this, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. It's the same chapter, Romans chapter four. And when I read this, especially those underlying statements, Paul says he didn't have any weakening in his faith and he did not waver through unbelief. When I read Romans chapter four, it makes me wonder, did Paul even read Genesis at all? Does he not know the story? I mean, I, I read Genesis probably very differently than Paul did because I see Abraham weakening all the time and I see him wavering as well. In fact, when I read the story in Genesis, I don't see Father Abraham most of the time. I see timid Abraham. I see fearful Abraham. Now, last week in church, we talked about what it means to take Scripture literally. And if you take this literally, just as it's written, then reading Genesis doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, you would read a completely different story. And if you're just reading Romans chapter 4, then you might come to the conclusion that you could never measure up to be like Abraham. Because at times you feel like your faith is weak and you know that you waver with unbelief. The story of Abraham, it seems to include both of those. Look, I think that Paul simply is saying this when he talks about Abraham not weakening in his faith or maybe not wavering. All he's communicating is this. Abraham persisted. He faced his fears and he persevered. And in that journey, all the way from Ur up to Haran, down to Egypt, up to Canaan, hundreds and hundreds of miles, he put one foot in front of the other and he persevered over and over and over again. But Abraham, well, when Abraham went from his country, his journey looked like yours, just like this. I mean, right after this is spoken, Abraham and Sarah find themselves in the land of Egypt not long after this. And as they're entering the land, Abraham says to Sarah, you know what, we're going to get there and they're going to find you beautiful and, and then I'm going to be in jeopardy. They're going to find you so pretty, they'll probably kill me since I'm your husband. So let's do this. Why don't you lie, tell them that you're my sister, and then it will benefit me. 
And I read this story in Genesis 12 about Abraham and Sarah entering Egypt and Sarah obeying. Of course, she gets taken into Pharaoh's household. They think she's not married. And she becomes one of his. And Abraham gets blessed. I think, Abraham, did you not believe that God was going to take care of you? Why did you feel like you needed to deceive to protect yourself? Oh, that's an up and a down. And he's wavering. And it happens again and again and again with Abraham and Sarah. At one point, they think, you know what? We don't believe God's promise is coming through on our timetable. And so Sarah says, I have not provided you an heir, Abraham. Why don't you make use of one of our servants and allow her to provide an heir? And Ishmael's born. Not God's plan. Not the way he intended. God's promise was to Abraham and Sarah. And so now we have a divided family. Isaac is finally born, but now there's Ishmael. And in fact, this family is so divided through the, the, the sin and the grievous behavior of favoritism in Abraham's family that that sin is visited on every generation after him. In fact, some would tie the current conflict in the Middle East that has existed for centuries ever since to Isaac and Ishmael and Abraham and Sarah's inability to trust one of these dips. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and I'll take care of you. And so sure, Abraham's faith was a little weak and he wavered. And in the middle of it, he was moving from A to B. And what Paul says about Abraham is even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. That doesn't mean he was perfect, and I don't think it means that he didn't waver. Paul is arguing like a a good Jewish orator in Romans chapter 4, and all he's saying is this. Abraham put one foot in front of the other, just like God is calling you to do today. And so it could be for you in your life that hope is on short supply. If that's the case, it's time to keep hoping It could be that you can think of no reason to place hope in the week to come, the months to come, even the years to come. It could be that the challenges that you're about to face right now feel insurmountable and overwhelming. It could be that you feel alone, that God isn't with you at all. And if that's the case, then it's time to keep hoping. It could be that you feel like you have been on one slow, steady downturn in your journey from A to B. And if that's the case, then it's time to keep hoping. Take another step. God is with you and his promise is true. So the question that I want you to wrestle with before we gather tonight, and if you can only be at one of these services, both of these will be online later in the week. What needs to migrate for you from A to B? What needs to move? Hope always involves movement. Is God shifting your values to something that is self-centered to other-centered? Then move that direction. Is God calling you to do something of significance in serving him, growing his kingdom, giving away the things that he's given you? Then move towards that. Is God calling you to love more fully, self-sacrificially, more completely? Then move in that direction. Because as you do, your hope will increase.
and you will not feel like there is no reason for hope. Let me guide you through a prayer that will maybe help us embrace that, move into it, and then even prepare us for the message tonight. Lord, we ask right now that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to ask this question. If hope involves movement for Abraham, physical movement and movement in so many other ways, then what movement are you asking out of us today? What shift are we to make in our heart and in our life today? How, Lord, are you shaping us and forming us? And what is our resistance to that? What have we not surrendered to you? What are we clinging on too tightly in terms of control? Why have we surrendered peace, believing and knowing and thinking that we need to stick to the wheel and take control of our life? So our hope is that you would move us in the right direction, that our hope would increase as we surrender more fully, that our love would increase as we become more others-focused and less self-centered. Lord, as we surrender to you, we recognize that we will encounter obstacle after obstacle, that the circumstances of this world, whether it's a global conflict or a pandemic that won't go away or debates among neighbors about masks, that there will always be something that will tempt us toward taking back control trying to get our way to keep us from surrendering to you. And so our hope and our prayer is that you would make it obvious today for us, each one of us, here in this place, me and Josh in this room, those who are in living rooms and kitchens, listening on their phones or computers. Lord, would you make it obvious to us how we can move toward hope even though at times it feels like there is no reason for hope. So, Lord, we surrender that to you today. And would your Holy Spirit speak to us throughout this week and help us to be ready to pack up, literally, metaphorically, and move the direction you're calling us to, knowing and believing that your love for us is enough and that you will guide us every step of the way. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And we say together, amen. So our hope for you today is you'll join us at the park. If not, you can listen online later this week. We're grateful to have been here with you this morning. God bless you. We'll see you soon.